Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 31, and we'll be covering chapters 26 through 30 of Words of Radiance. We have some interesting perspectives. We have a Sadius chapter this week. This week, gentlemen, how do we how are we feeling about this week's this week's group of chapters? It's pretty cool. I definitely enjoyed them. Um, and yeah, I was a little surprised with the Sadius chapter, but but I kind of liked it. I feel like tension is building in these chapters, and I'm I'm rather nervous as to what we're we're building to. So interesting chapters for sure, but making me want to know what's next. Yeah, we're we're coming up on the end of part two. Actually, we're definitely headed towards the uh, the middle part of, of Words of Radiance. Do you guys have two words to to describe chapters 26 through 30 of Words of Radiance? Uh, Elliot, we'll go with you first. For these chapters, I've got hidden and hesitation. Hidden and hesitation. Paul, what about you? Uh, this week, my two words are delving and conniving. Delving and conniving. All right. Let's use these four words and see what we got. All righty. I will get back to you guys' words here in a second. But we have a special segment this week and I oh and I am looking forward to both of y'all's uh I'm sure inputs for this. I'm not. So I'm ever not. since if you guys remember back in the Way of Kings, it was pretty pretty early. I think it was part 2 that that Kaladin was getting to know Teft and Rock. And Rock is a little hesitant to give Kaladin his his actual full name, but he does. And Paul, do you remember? Do you remember Rock's full name? Can you give us a give a shot at it? I, I definitely can. It's actually not that hard now. Numuhuku Makiaki Aino Lunamore. Great. And these these names from the Horn Eater Peaks are kind of like a sentence. They're that they, they describe the the character or or the person that they're that they have a name for and this week we have we have a made up one but it's still a, a horn eater name nonetheless in in a chapter we'll get to here in a little bit shallan meets kaladin and introduces herself as a horn eater princess and gives him a fake name so we have a spell check this week and we'll do, go with elliot first what is how would you pronounce Shallan's horn eater princess name that she gives Kaladin? Oh, okay. I'll try. With, with rocks, I was at least a little confident going into it because I could, there was a pronunciation in my head I could at least spat out. This one I trip over several of the syllables and like can't even make it through, but I'll give it a shot for you guys. Uh, here we go. Shallan's horn eater princess name is obviously pronounced 
Unu Luku Akina Autu Atai ish, something like that. It's very close. That was, good. That was good. I'm not going to correct good. you because I don't, I don't have any semblance of how they say it in the like. I know how they say it, <laughs> but I can't reproduce it. So, uh, Paul, you can try it if you want, but or or you can pass either way. Uh, yeah, I think I I think I can say it. Um, I say that, and then I'm going to stumble all over it. But that, and then I'll give my spelling. I did spend a considerable amount of time on this trying to get the <laughs> spelling. Um, but yeah, so so at least how I heard it uh, in the book, it's Unulukuak Ikina Awatua The last part's hard. Kinaotuati. Okay. Tuatai. Sorry, Tuatai. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah, that was a rough translation. Um, and my <laughs> my spelling of it was U-N-U-L-U-K-U-A-K apostrophe. Okay. And then this word gets rockier. Uh-huh. No pun intended. K-E-N-A-O-U-T-U-A-T-I. Okay, you were pretty close. I can, you're, I can, I can say that again. You're very close. You're like uh, probably 80% accuracy. This is pretty impressive. Okay. So this is how they spell Let's it. Go. It is Princess U-N-U-L-U-K-U-A-K apostrophe. You're 100% re- right so far. K-I-N-A apostrophe A-U-T-U apostrophe a t t a i. All the okay. apostrophes. I I will say I almost had another apostrophe in there, but not there. I almost had it before the first a, like unuluku apostrophe ak or ak apostrophe, and then the rest. Gotcha. I, but I actually sc- I scratched that. Um, but yeah, I, I went with several guesses. I thought there may have been a w at the end or near the end. Uh, but I, I scratched that and went with what I had. But yeah, I was uh, the the first part wasn't too hard. Right, you just have to go with it's all going to be used. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'll chalk that up to to it. Yes, yeah, I'm pretty happy with both of y'all's performances there. I I really want to know now, like what that means, because like Tin just made that up on the spot, right? Yep. I mean, is this just True. garbage or did she just say something yeah. like insulting to Kaladin in in Horn Eater or <laughs> I, I'm curious the world so anyone out there who's fluent in Horn Eater help us out that here. would be great yes please that would be great yeah I don't even know if Brandon Sanderson is fluent in uh Horn Eater so <laughs> I feel like he would have to know for the name he uses you know maybe not maybe fluent fluent I feel like there's got to be something something there either that or it's just Tim was coming up with garbage you know just random <laughs> random letters right all right so let's get back to our to our word summaries uh, we'll, we'll do elliot first can you remind us of, our, of your two words and then go into a little explanation yeah so i had hidden and hesitation for hidden i honestly like paul's word better i, I wish i'd thought of it paul you said conniving right as one of yours that's kind of what I was was what I was hitting on with with hidden. It seemed like there were a lot of hidden motives in these chapters, of everything from Sadius to Shalon to Tin to even Yakimov a little bit. Um, so just lots of things that are kind of 
hiding. We even had the Shalon flashback chapter with some hidden stuff kind of in those chapters. So lots of little things seem to be hiding from other things. And then hesitation. I just had, I had a hesitation just because we see hesitation a few times through, through these sections. We see Renarin who freezes up in battle and he, he hesitates and he can't, he can't fight. And then Shalon is really hesitating throughout a lot of this, really trying to figure out what to do with, with Tin. Does she follow Tin? Does she try to learn from Tin? What is she going to do with Tin when they get to the Shattered Plains? Just a lot of, a lot of kind of trying to process and figure out what, what they need to do next from, from our characters here. Paul? Yeah, I, I was actually going to say I kind of liked Elliot's words. Um, <laughs> I So I'll first touch on conniving because he mentioned that. That was mostly my biggest thought on that was with Sadius um, and kind of how from what we see, he's always trying to like look at like Adolin and Dalinar if he can and, and kind of trying to he's trying to, I guess, win this, this kind of battle they're in um, and how he can do that. And so he's kind of scheming with all the other camps and things like that. So that was the primary reason I chose conniving. Um, delving was honestly for a lack of a better word. I I didn't quite know how to, a word to, for like digging yourself into a hole. That's how I feel like Shalon was in our boots chapter mm-hmm. um which which is super funny um her and ten kind of we had we kind of have the the first meeting i guess with shalon pulling up to the shattered plains and i feel like her and ten have already dug themselves into a hole that i don't know how they're gonna get out of so when kaladin introduces himself as dalinar's captain of the guard she's like oh Dang it. <laughs> yeah. Oops. One of her first thoughts was like, hopefully I just won't see these soldiers again. Yep. And we know that they're probably the most important soldiers in the story. Yep. You know, for the camp. So. All right. So usually in these chapters, we can kind of group some together and talk about them all together. But a lot of these chapters are kind of one-off like by themselves don't there isn't really a they don't really piece together that well so we'll kind of just go in in chronological order with these and see how they go chapter 26 is an adolin chapter actually and it's it's him on the shattered plains on a on a bridge run on a plateau run and he's fighting on what my mind tells me is a, I don't know if they say this in the book, but it's like a three-tiered cake almost. And like, it's this huge hill and there's like three distinct tiers on it. And you're climbing from tier to tier to try to fight the Parshendi. And he's doing it with his old friend, Yakimov. Anyone have any thoughts on this chapter? Um, Cause I have a few, but they don't come till the end of the chapter. I at least liked it kind of let off with some action, right? They're fighting the, the Parshendi, um, and, and it was really cool. I With the whole three-tiered plateau or wherever they are, mm-hmm. um, that was really confusing, and it makes me think it's more significant than it probably is because 
felt like Brandon Sanderson spent a lot of time describing it, like kind of an awkwardly long amount of time describing mm-hmm. it, even though I really don't think it's important at all. Right. But I, I'll stop you there. Cause I think it might, I think it might be cause I, I too thought the description stood out a little bit. And the reason why was you got your three tier cake, but then he describes it as there's like a, a, like a, like a cut right through the entire center of the entire plateau. And he he talks about how, or at least Adolin's thinking about how that seems so unnatural. You'd think if like an earthquake happened, you know, maybe half the plateau would like fall over or it would kind of, you know, start to crumble at the base. But instead it's like something has come through and just taken a massive like gouge out of this, almost as if like a, you know, a shard blade the size of like a, a tower, you know, a mile long went and like swept through it or something maybe that's hinting at the origins of the shattered planes and like what happened to create them. But yeah, I don't know. It, it, it was an interesting de- description and in that it, you, we dwelt on it for longer than normal. If I had to make a guess about it, if it is significant, I think it's something that we're not going to get. It might be like Probably. a rereader kind of thing. Like a comeback for a rereader or something. That's, that's my guess, because I feel like it's a little too obscure of a thing to be relevant. But like you said, it it was an awkwardly long like description, and I was like, yeah. "Really? We're we're still going?" I do want to <laughs> I do want to stop here for a second because this isn't the only lore hint that he drops. This is the same chapter. This is the epigraph in front of this chapter. They blame our people. For the loss of that land, the city that once covered it, did range the eastern strand. The power made known in the tomes of our clan, our gods were not, were not who shattered these plains. From the listener songs of war, 55th stanza. Songs of war, could that be rhythm of war? Perhaps. Ooh. But that's that's not the only uh, cryptic, not not natural thing that is dropped in this chapter. Fair, fair. The last line there: "Our gods are not who shatter these plains." That one can, stands out to me and confuses me because the description of this plateau makes me think something supernatural did this, like at the god level. But then for this Parshendi poem to say our gods are not who shattered these planes. That's the first guess I would have had is that this was Voidbringers or their gods or somebody. So to say that it's not, I have no idea who shattered these planes. Yeah, I'll leave it there. No more, no more hints from me. (laughs) Okay. So into this, into this chapter, Yakimov and Adolin are fighting. And I remember on my first read through, Adolin uses his shard blade in a way that I always wondered if it could be possible. So he basically jumps onto this cliff face, summons his shard blade, and stabs it into the rock, pulls himself up onto it and stands on it, and then does it again. And then he like he like dismisses the blade and then stabs it again and and stands on the stands on his blade. I just thought that was so cool. On my I remember on my first read through I'm like 
wow, how innovative to just have a magic system and then use it to climb a rock. Like that's so, that's so cool to me. But I, that is, I actually didn't catch that that was what he was doing. Yeah, I don't know how I missed that, but that's actually really cool. Yeah, he like climbs up onto the the flat of the blade and stands on it, and then grabs the wall and then dismisses it and does it again. I I too thought that was super cool, and it 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 reminded me too just how the shard blades work, which is still kind of unique, and I'm still trying to grasp it because my mind tends to kind of default to like lightsabers, right? You you think of shard blades as they pass through anything, so my mind starts to think of them as as like this blade that's maybe not necessarily there, but it is there something you wouldn't be able to stand on but that's that's not true they they can slice through things like their edge just melts through anything like butter but it's still a metal blade it's still an actual thing that he can stand on it'll hold his weight and then he can he can jump off of it which is still super yeah a little hard to maybe get my mind around yeah there's there is some substance there and it's easy to forget that Oh, you just dismiss it because it was never there. It's just a a spirit cutter thing. Shard blades are cool. I want one. I'm sure your local convenience store can help you with that. I think, um, yeah, I'll pick one up next time. Yeah. I think you said that like on our very first episode of of following Noah. Did I? That you wanted a shard blade. Yeah, I still want one. I mean, who doesn't want one? Let's be real. True. They're pretty cool. I'd give them a 10 out of 10, in all honesty. Um, even though I haven't even used one. Um, if you guys... So speaking of shard blades... Go ahead, Paul. Also, Well, I was going to say that we, we see the only Parshendi shard bearer again um, at the end of this episode. And that was... Yeah. A, that kind of got me excited because, honestly, that had kind of left my mind. I'm really excited for the things like... Like Shalon getting to the Shattered Plains and potentially like a Zeth, Zeth finally showing up or something. But I hadn't really thought any more about Eshonai, um, our Prashendi Shardbearer. And she talks to Adolin and basically sets up a, a talk. Basically asks like if she can send a messenger because she wants to talk with Dalinar. Which I think is really cool. And I'm excited for that now. Um, getting to see some development with that hopefully in the in the future i i too was excited to see esha and i back i'm i'm glad to see that she's still pursuing a, a peaceful resolution here i i still have hope that that's a that that's a possibility where we kind of left her with the interlude that we saw she was headed off to maybe discover storm form and i think i talked about this back then that i was a little worried we were this was going to get escalated that the Parshendi were then going to come in with these new powers and just kind of crush the the Alethi army and at least that's not happening at least it's not super powered Eshonai coming back to just obliterate everyone she wants to talk so that's that's really positive news I hope that I hope it actually does happen I hope that Dalinar or Elokar or somebody can have some sort of a peace talk with uh, with Eshonai I think that would that would be pretty big that'd be huge so this actually ties in to chapter 29, I believe it is, with Sadius. And I'll explain it here in a second. That Sadius opens up the chapter 
remembering how the Parshenda used to try to surrender, and the and he personally would slaughter every one of them that tried to surrender, and r- rather quickly they learned that you don't you don't try to surrender to the Alethi because they're just going to kill you. However, Eshonai is specifically looking for Dalinar because Dalinar or because Eshonai knows that Dalinar is going to be more honorable and has a better character than than Sadius and it's really easy I would imagine it would be really easy for her to just group the Alethi in one in one group of they're the bad guys we're the good guys you know and not want to talk but she specifically is looking to talk to Dalinar and it's that's a good thing because Sadius has not made a good name for the Alethi among the among the Parshendi because they haven't tried to to surrender yet or, or since like five years ago or whenever that was so there's a there's some interesting lines being drawn here i i thought that that bit in chapter 29 was another good example of the parshendi being a bit misunderstood here because the lethi have this view of them as these barbaric i don't know barbarians for lack of a better word right. who throw themselves into battle they never surrender they fight to the death they're just there for blood and violence but we learn in that little line there in chapter 29 that they did originally try to surrender they were much more of a civilized if you will army the only reason they don't is because someone like Sadius slaughtered them all when they tried to surrender and so it's because of the actions of the Alethi that they're behaving the way they are but the Alethi layperson doesn't understand that, and so they still have this perverted view of of what the the Parshendi are. Do you think Dalinar wants to talk to Eshenai? Oh yes, I think he definitely would want to. I think the Dalinar of now, nowadays, at this point in the story, will. Which I'm glad Dalinar went on the journey he did in Way of Kings that we kind of saw. Because I think the Dalinar of like a year ago would not have. And so I do hope that Dalinar does agree to, to talk and they can do that. I cannot envision him just flat out not wanting to. It may not be like the kind of talk like he might not meet with Ash and I or something, but yeah, at least messengers of some sort. But yeah, he's not just going to be like, no, I don't want to hear anything. You know, if so, I will be a little disappointed by a little disappointed. I mean a lot, but Dalinar, Dalinar just wants progress in the war one way or the other, either make peace and go home or slaughter them all if that's what it comes to. He just wants the the war to be over because he he now sees it as a waste of time for the Alethi to be there because they're no longer there for vengeance in his mind. Do you guys remember who Yakimov is? Yakimov is? I definitely remember that name. Is he one of the other like camp leader? people i don't remember for sure 
Adolin was like talking fashion with him back in a while, a few chapters ago, right? Or back in, I don't even remember now when it was. Was it Way it of was Kings? It was Way of Kings. So, yeah. So, Yakimov and Adolin are kind of, are, they're friends. They're both sons of high princes. They they go to wine houses together, that type of thing. And they're on this plateau run together. And Yakimov tells him in no uncertain terms, hey, I'm not going to hang out with you until Dalinar's in better light and better standings with the rest of the High Princes. It's not good to be seen with you in public. And Adolin doesn't take it so well. I don't think I'd take it well either. That's not a very... Yakimov is not a great friend, we are finding out. There's definitely a lot of political stuff with the the upper ups people in this story, I feel like so it's like yeah, it's like disappointed but not surprised, you know? Right. Yeah. That's kinda how I, I feel about it. Um speaking it's... of disappointing, before we go to some of the other chapters, I think we should talk about twenty nine. Because I feel like twenty nine and this one go go hand in hand a little bit. Sure. At least with talk about Sadius. Um I don't know if you have anything else to say about 26. If not, I have some stuff to say about 29. I do have one more thing to say about 26, but it actually ties to 27. So I will wait for that and we'll circle back to it. Um, okay. But yes, so Sadius understands Dalinar's strategy here of disarming the High Princess of their Shard Blades and is trying everything he can to get Adolin to no duels. Um. Any any thoughts about about this chapter? Yeah, Sadius Sadius is on to him pretty fast. Or Sadius and his wife, Eli. Is that how we Eli pronounce her name? Eli Eli. Sadius and Eli they they're on yeah they're on to him. They they know what's going on. They they clearly are are not going to have one pulled over on them that easily. And this seems like a pretty easy uh, counter move to that. Well, you're going to try and duel everyone. Well, we'll just make sure you can't get any duels. And it seems to be sort of working, at least. I mean, we see in Chapter 29, right, Adolin's got his second duel. And this is where we go through the whole, he's faking it, not being great. And Sadius notices that and, and all that. Yeah, it is important to notice that Sadius notices that Adolin is faking at first, he thought, like everyone else, that, oh, Adolin's not actually that good. He's just back into dueling, and he wants to duel for Shardblades because he's arrogant. And then he realizes, no, he's tr- he's pretending to be bad so that other people will duel him, thinking they can win his shards from him. And at the end of the chapter, actually, Sadius tells Eli to stop hindering people from dueling uh, Adolin. He has a new strategy here. Did y'all pick up on that? Yes, that's what I wanted to bring up the most because um one I was so happy to hear that because I'm I want Adolin duels just cuz it's really really cool. Um and two that that's part of why I chose my word conniving mostly um because well Sadie is is he's always like in charge but behind the scenes you know, and I feel like that's him really trying to pull more strings. So I don't fully remember his 
reasoning of why he was like, yes, let's do it like full send on the duels. But he didn't. I know it was for a very intentional purpose. Like he's doing it for his personal gain. He thinks it'll still be best for him. Um, obviously. But the other the other bit that I picked out of, of this chapter, chapter twenty nine, is that Sadius and, and ELA talk about the assassination of Elicar, the, the attempted assassination of Elicar a few chapters back, right? Yep. Like four or five chapters we had that whole railing incident. But they they clearly talk about it in a way that makes it clear that they're not involved. So this that was a, that was a bit of a revelation to me that we can cross Sadius off the list as he was not the one who who tried to kill Elokar at least in that instance. So that that was some information. But they did find out of their own accord. So they do have leaks in the king's in the king's palace. Yes. There are some sort of Indeed. some spies there because Dalinar or Sadius is the high prince of information, and Dalinar didn't go deliberately didn't go to Sadius because you know they're not on great terms right now. Um, he didn't go to Sadius, but Sadius found out found out anyway. So there's obviously some sort of information leak there that ELA has. Paul, kind of backtracking a little bit, you had a prediction not too long ago that you thought Adolin was going to die in a duel. Do you stand by that? And how we how we looking for that? So with what's happened, that definitely makes it look better, right? Because Sadius may encourage some duelers that are actually really good, you know? I'm sure there are some other shard bears and some other high princes here that are like actually good because for the most part the the one we had I think there was one yeah. The one in this chapter was at least better than the first. The first one the guy just got he got stomped in ten seconds. Quite quite literally. (laughs) Quite Um, literally, yes. Yeah. Um so I mean it's very, very possible. I'm still going to stand by it. Okay. But, yeah, I am confident in Adolin's ability to win duels. But, yeah, I I, th- I think it is very likely to happen. I'll be, I'll be very nervous if Adolin ends up dueling Sadius himself at some point. Just because if Sadius has realized what Adolin is doing, and if, we, if he gets in another scenario where, like, He's faking it, not being as good as he really is, but Sadius knows that he's doing that. That could give Sadius a serious advantage in that duel, and I'll be pretty worried if if that ends up being the scene we we head into. I feel like Sadius would never actually duel Adolin. Probably not. I would love that, but... Adolin would love that too. That's definitely Adolin's goal here. Yeah, that's but yeah, true. I don't think Sadius would let himself get backed into a corner like that. All right. I just want to mes- mention one thing in Chapter 26 before we move on to Chapter 27. In battle, Renarin freezes. And we've seen this before. 
And jumping forward to chapter 27, we see that Shallan freezes. And they're not really the same. There's there's specific differences to them. And Shallan, Shallan wonders, I wonder how many hours have passed since I've been standing here. And Renarin says, oh, yeah, just my, my arms got shaky. and I, But it only lasted for like five minutes. So it's, they're different. But on our outline, we have the word freezes applying to two of our main characters right next to each other. So I just wanted to, to bring it up and any thoughts there. I hadn't connected those at all until you just until you just said that, even though you're right, we do have those two sentences right next to each other on the on that line. I guess I, I was completely thinking about Shalon freezing as like shock. She she's still in shock from what she has seen. She's she's like mentally inhibited in in that manner. Whereas Renarin seems to be more of like either just straight up fear where he he's afraid of battle and can't bring himself to go into battle or it's just like uh he can't bring himself to commit violence that was kind of where i felt like he was kind of at there of he just doesn't seem like a violent person and so he's he's eager to train he wants to learn but then when you actually you know put an enemy in front of him and you you tell him hey all right swing the sword and kill he can't quite bring himself to do that so they were different categories for me, but but now that you say that, maybe they're more similar than I think. What do you think, Paul? So I was gonna say I hadn't I also had not really thought of this comparison between Renarin and Shalon. But what I think it is showing more of is a future for Renarin rather than a comparison for Shalon, in that I like so this is a flashback Shalon chapter two. Mm-hmm. So like they're probably really similar. Um right in, in that probably for different reasons, but the, the whole freezing nature, things like that. Um we've even seen Shalon really has no desire to like hurt people or do anything like that, like Renarin. Um but we've seen how Shalon was for for the most part. <laughs> for the most part, <laughs> um, I'll give it to you. Um, we've seen how Shalon has, I guess, developed from her young self that was like really traumatized and such. And obviously, there's still like issues and things, but for she's very confident. It has come a long way, um, and I think that's what we're going to see with Renarin. Right now, he's just not confident. He's, you know, he freezes up all the time. But I think we'll see. A development to almost into yeah almost into someone more like adolin like in confidence and and things like that um but just kind of growing up even though he's like 18 or 19 or however old he is i don't remember for sure but i still think of him as like a 13 year old yeah it's, it's it is hard to remember that kaladin and renarin are both the same age and Shalon, I think, is a year younger than both of them. So, let's talk about Jushu and Balat because they get short, short cameos in this in this chapter. Well, Balat doesn't show up, but we hear of his exploits. Right? He uh, apparently has 
set something on fire. I don't remember what it was. He is up to no good. He almost burned yeah, down. Apparently, the, that's he almost burned down the servants' head or the servants' quarters. Is what we're told. And the implication is it's not the first time either. So yep. apparently, it's a hobby of his arson. This is this is pulled crabs apart a lot. So yeah, I was gonna say arson and animal abuse. It's not a great. <laughs> he does not have a good track record so far. Triple A. Imagine, imagine being Jushu, and your worst crime is a little bit of gambling, a little bit of drinking, and then you're like, "Man, literally nobody in this family is normal except for Helleran, who's never around." So, yeah, th- that's this family is not in good shape. This this family has some issues. If you remember back in the Way of Kings. Shalon was under Yasna's supervision in Carbranth, and she's like, eh, I'll just stay here. I don't want to go home. And now we understand why. <laughs> yeah. No telling what kind of, you know, like sibling pranks they'd all pull, you know, like leave a, like growing up wasn't super fun. Leave a burning Kremlin in your bed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what happened with Balat, but he is something else. He makes me very nervous. We haven't even really got... heard much from him. But she's got another brother too, right? Helleran, Balat, Jushu. Isn't there another one? There is. I don't remember his name though. It's like is it a younger brother? Like the only one younger than her? Jushu's the youngest. Maybe? So it goes her, okay. Jushu, br- second brother, Balat. Helleran. There is another brother in there. I don't remember his name, though. Hmm. wonder what his issues are. I'll put are. it on the screen right now. So, the part that I actually was most interested in this chapter was what happens at the very end of, of this chapter. So, Jushu comes and they have their little chat where they're all messed up and they've all got some issues, but then it ends with Shalon seeing the strong box in her father's room and the light emanating from it. And we learn that Jushu can't see that light. He doesn't even know what Shalon is talking about. And I, I think Shalon even describes the box as like in a wall safe or something behind a tapestry or something. And yeah. so it's completely covered up and yet she can still see the light shining through. And that's, that's intriguing. And then we're left with these these last two sentences in this chapter, which are kind of haunting. She says, there hid a monster. There hid mother's soul. And I just wrote in my notes, like, what? <laughs> what? Is, th- does she mean this, like, literally? Like, her mother is trapped in this box? Or her mother's soul has been, like, ripped from her and her father somehow like has the soul or is this just more of like a metaphor of what's in the box destroyed mother's soul. And so back kind of back to the whole, maybe the weapon that killed her is in that box. I'm confused. I'm really confused. And creeped out a little bit. Yeah, me too. I, you're very right that like, it's obviously one of the two, the glowing makes me think that 
it's some way like a we're assuming that Shalon, I guess, has pattern at this time. We kind of know he was around when all this stuff was going on. So We've it has to be, that, you know, yeah. some kind of connection there where she sees this glowing and no one else does. Um, but the there hit a monster, the hid mother's soul. The glowing makes you think it's literally like somehow her soul is like trapped in this thing. Right. But, yeah, yeah, I, I feel like it'd be, I don't know, they, all the kids seem to have, like, a vice of some sort. I feel like maybe in this box is her, I don't know, whatever addiction or crazy thing, habit she had <laughs> was in there. Um, who knows? I think I'm way more curious in Shalon flashback chapters than I was Kaladin ones. I still loved the, like... Counter ones are great. Um, but I'm very curious because it's like a big mystery right now with these. And they're always like short. And they just drop some big ambiguous thing on your head. And then <laughs> like, all right, bye. Yeah. I mean, the biggest um, so. the biggest intrigue, if you will, that we had in Kaladin flashback chapters was did Liren steal the, the spheres from Rashon? Like, that's, that's the only mm -hmm. real intrigue we had. The more... Kaladin yeah. chapters or flashback chapters were kind of just, you know, getting to know Kaladin, getting to know Roshar, that type yeah. of thing. Seeing kind of what shaped him. Right. And then this is like a sci-fi horror movie. Like, yep. Um, it's full on murder mystery going on now. Yes, actually. I can just imagine if this were a TV show, all of these Shalon flashback chapters for season two would be like post credit scenes. You know, where the 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 there the episode's over, title like credits start to roll, and then you just hear the lullaby, and Shalon walking through a hallway, and her father's like, "Now sleep, my baby dear," and then the the episode ends, and you're like, "Oh, that was terrible." <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I was gonna say I was gonna make the comparison of like it's like the trailer to what you want to see, like. Like, ooh, what's in the box? Like, right. you'll have to watch and find out. But we've already watched and found out nothing. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any other comments on chapter 27? None here. That's all I had. All right. Let's talk about boots. We've got two two Shalon chapters, two modern day Shalon chapters, and I mean we finally get our first Kaladin Shalon interaction. We've been waiting for a full book and twenty eight chapters for this moment, one thousand five hundred pages or something like that. Yeah, and we finally get to it, and Shalon is talking Horn Eater and asks for Kaladin's boots. What are we? What do we want to talk about here? It was definitely not what I expected at all. I will give. So far, I've been very impressed by being surprised with things in these books. This definitely did it because I we spent so much time thinking about oh who whoever Shalon meets as she approaches is going to set the pace for the whole thing. It could be horrible. It could be nice. 
and then this happens and i was like okay <laughs> all right <laughs> good one you got me um yeah the the this was i would say this is funnier than the stick moment that i am a stick okay um at least listening to the audiobook was super fun because she is like i am offend yes and lots of stuff and it was very funny i i absolutely loved it in all honesty i i can't get over the height difference here for the boots the boots aren't even gonna fit shallan here kaladin has been constantly described as towering over all the bridgemen taller than adolin like Kaladin is a big guy. He's probably like what six foot four or something. Six foot three. Shalon, five foot six. <laughs> like she, I think I think <laughs> she does confirm herself to be five foot six when she's talking to Capsule, and it, it, like it's a joke or something. And these these boots aren't gonna fit her. Why is she asking for these boots? Yeah, it was. It had to have just been the first thing that popped into her head and. So she just ran with the ball. She can like I said, she dug herself way too deep and couldn't get out after the whole horn eater thing, so there she was. I I think Brandon Sanderson is having a little bit of a laugh with, with all of us readers. I think he's fully aware that all the way through Way of Kings, you're thinking, Oh, when are Kaladin and Shalon gonna meet? When are Kaladin and Shalon gonna meet? Oh, they didn't even meet in the entirety of this book. Like, oh, way of words of radiance. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. And then it does happen. And you just get this comical scene where, yeah, Paul, you and I have been trying to dissect this and figure out, you know, oh, who's the first person she's gonna meet and what's that gonna mean for it all. And you know, I, I even knew this was gonna be Kaladin as soon as the chapter started, right? You know, guards riding up on horseback. Oh, it's Kaladin. He's gonna bring her back to to Dalinar. This is gonna start the, you know, the the intrigue or whatever here. Nope. Nothing important happens. Callan or Shalon just pretends to be a horn eater and steals his boots. The end. I bet. I hope she gives them back. Like after, she has to, cause she can't be a horn eater this whole time. Right. Especially if she meets, I, I definitely thought rock was going to show up and be like, what? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, this whole time. That's what I was thinking of. I feel like, but yeah, I feel like Rock is the type of guy to just go with it, you know? He'd be like, oh, yeah, you're a horn eater. Come here. Gives it like a hug or something. Yeah. <laughs> I I would fully expect in like a movie or show, a live action one, like being like, oh, you're a horn eater. Like, why don't we make some like good horn eater food? And they go and eat horns or something, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, Rock, Rock, would flip the, Rock would flip the script on her, right? I mean, he'd be the one that's, you know, smart enough to realize immediately oh you're not so yeah here's the traditional horn eater greeting hug right you know crush your back and whatever that is she was like what's going on yeah Yeah, i I was actually surprised that rock like wasn't i was fully expecting as soon as they're like the horn eater princess horn eater princess unu lukuak kinawa tuatai and I was expecting Kaladin to be like, oh, we have like a horn eater right here. And, and Shalon to get in trouble right then. He would then. speak to her yeah. native horn eater and then it would be exposed and be all weird. But yeah, so whenever that comes out, I imagine she'll be like, oh, sorry about the boots thing, by the way. And 
give them back. But in in this scene too, I'm I'm learning that Tin is like the the friend you had in high school that wasn't really actually your friend that just gets you into trouble just to laugh at you. Like, you know, get you, you're just tagging along because you, you think you're having fun. And then all of a sudden you realize the whole thing is blamed on you and they're just laughing at you. Like that's Tin. That's a really good way of putting it. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I, I definitely got that. Cause like if Tin wasn't there, this would have been totally normal. Like, Oh yeah, she totally. probably said I'm Shalon. Like, okay, if Tin wasn't there, that's what I'm here for. Shalon probably would have gotten an escort back to the Shattered Plains, yeah. like from Kaladin. Yep. But nope, this is nope. I'm the I'm a horny to princess, and Kaladin's and, like whatever, and walks away. And, right, <laughs> and in, and instead, horses are you know riding up, and Tin's like, "How's your horny?" Oh, good, great. This is the horny to princess. Is like, oh come on. Yeah. Backtracking a little bit here to the beginning of the the chapter, and and talking more about Tin, I'm trying to I'm trying to formulate you know what I what I think about Tin, and I, I really I really don't like her. She makes me feel un, un, uncomfortable really through a lot of these, partially because I feel like she's she's corrupting Shalon. We we have this. I talked about before how how Shalon is kind of a picture of of innocence for me, and how that's a bit ironic, kind of given a lot of what we know about Shalon. But I'm going to defend it here in a, in a second. But the tin is is like intentionally trying to make her more worldly, and that that makes me that makes me uncomfortable. I, I, it makes me want to say like you know get away from her. She's she's just fine how she how she is, and I I kind of classify tin as like the opposite almost of, of Yasna and how, how, how Yasna's interaction with, with Shalon went. Yasna was all about, you know, bettering yourself or, or contributing, you know, scholarly works or finding honorable ways to, to use your powers, at least, at least most of the time. Tin is the opposite. She's all about, Hey, how can we use your powers for dishonest purposes? How can we, Ooh, well, here's all the different kind of cons we can pull with, with all of your skills that we have now is very different from the tutelage that Shalon has had in the last book. Tin is very much of what can I get out of the world instead of what can I contribute yeah. to the world? That's true. I also have not liked Tin. I think I said that in the previous episode. You didn't and like her from the first sentence. Like we we got like yeah, three sentences she, of tin, and I you're guess. like, I don't like this. I don't like this girl. Yeah, it was mostly like a just surface level. I was like, you're kind of tin's kind of annoying. I feel like you know, like why can't I just say I'm Shalon? Like why do I have to be as horny? I don't know. It just kind of annoyed me, in all honesty. So maybe, yeah, not the biggest tin fan. So. So I have I have a theory about Tin. In Let's hear it. in this chapter in this chapter 28 she references she makes a couple hints. I think she may have even talked a little bit about this before in the the other chapter we saw but we know that she was with like a band of of people. She's I think she's referred to them as like her men before and they were they were doing some, they were doing a job. They were doing some sort of a job. And we we learn here in this chapter chapter 28 that her men were off pulling a job. I'm pretty sure she says down south, and she hasn't heard from them. 
and she's starting to get a little worried. And Shalon like notices, oh, she's a little worried that she hasn't heard from her men. I might be going out too far on this one, but what if Tin's men are the men that attacked Shalon's ship and and took them down? Maybe Tin is working with the the ghost bloods. Maybe she is a ghost blood and was was involved in that. I don't know. I mean, she seems like a kind of connected on the inside kind of person, which which maybe ties in with like ghost bloods modus operandi, if you if you will. But beyond that, I don't have a ton of evidence for this yet. But just the fact that she says my men were down south, which is where Shalon was, and she hasn't heard from them, that could fit together with Shalon's half of the story, and that could get interesting if uh, if that's true. I was about to say the coincidence would be too crazy, but you made me think about there isn't that much south of them. Like, they're in the middle of the Frostlands, headed up to the Shattered Plains, and there isn't actually that much to the south of them besides vacant Frostlands and the sea. So, right. I don't know. Maybe they, yeah. That's true. I looked at my map briefly, but... I thought like they could have somehow because Carbronth is kind of at the bottom of the map, so that's what my first thought went. I don't, I don't think it's like correlated. Like I don't think they would be the men at the ship, but I mean, I guess it's not too far away. So that never even really crossed my mind. I kind of was thought it was just to show like I'm ten. I have the best men. I can't believe I haven't heard from them. Like something absolutely crazy must have happened you know so i didn't think about that too much one thing that might reinforce your theory is that brandon sanderson does not like to waste words so if he's gonna drop a hint at something it's probably there for a reason i've i've noticed that too in the little like i've said a couple times in some of my previous theories like Hey, this doesn't seem super important, but maybe it is. It always is. Yeah. It's always something. Right. What, whether I've keyed into it correctly or not is the question, but those little hints, they're always something. Chapter 30? Chapter 30. So in this one, this is the one where Shalon's like colorful foliage, like off the side of the road, right? And they they run over there. Yep. She like diverts the whole whole crew to go over and and see this little pond with the the colorful trees and brush and stuff like that. And she sits there and draws for a while. Yep, I believe it's called nature nature's blushing or something like that. So this was an interesting chapter for me. And the first thing I, I noticed, although I think maybe this is like halfway through the chapter or towards the end actually, is she draws Gaz in another sort of like heroic posed drawing, maybe perhaps kind of like that poster behind you, Trevor, with like the, the epic, you know, wind blowing your hair sort of sort of thing. And this is the same kind of thing she did for Bluth, right? The other guy, slaver guy before and and shortly after she did that, he he clung to that 
drawing and then ended up having a, a at least somewhat heroic death. He, he tried to, to make something of himself partially because Shalon imagined him in that light. She, she took a, what was more of a, you know, a brigand and imagined him a hero and he kind of became one. And so now I'm wondering if she takes Gaz and draws him like a hero, is this a little bit of foreshadowing? Is Gaz going to get a chance to uh, become a hero in the, in the future? I'm going to, I'm going to keep an eye out for it. That's not where I thought you were going with that. I thought you were just going to say Gaz was going to die. You're like, <laughs> well, well, could be, could be that too. shortly after Shalon drew Bluth, Bluth went and died. So I think Gaz is going to die, but that's not where you went with it. I'll believe that more. So I could, I could see this happening, but I'm not sold because I don't know what else there is to happen because they're kind of there now. They're kind of at the shattered planes. And I imagine when they're hanging around there, that Gaz, um, just won't really be around, maybe for multiple reasons. Kind of conveniently disappear. Yeah, might just get out. Of town, you know, get out. That's of kind town. of what Tavlokov did, right? We kind of ran into Tavlokov, and we were kind of wondering, "Ooh, is that going to become a uh, another plot point?" But not really. He just kind of slunk off with his his folks, and he's he's gone, as far as we know. Mm-hmm. But on the continuing the the drawing train of thought, she draws Gaz, but then she also draws Yalb, or maybe Yalb. She she draws. She's just kind of letting her mind wander, and she draws and she draws. I forget the, the exact details of it, but she wonders if who she's drawn are the sailors from the ship that sank, and perhaps they they survived. She's wondering if oh maybe they made it because. One of them in the picture looks like Yalb, and that has me really hopeful that perhaps that's that's true. Yeah, she does. It she, she's let her mind wander a couple times, and before now, when we've seen this, she just, just starts drawing uh, cryptics, or as cryptics appear yeah. in the in Shadesmar, and now she's drawing what appears to be Yalb and two other sailors climbing out of the ocean and so whatever that means yeah i don't know if i know enough yet to say like shallan can predict the future with her drawing or or see the past or something crazier like that but there's enough here to make me wonder again back to the whole these little hints don't tend to be nothing if she's if she's drawing Yalb coming out of the ocean, is that just her wishing that that's what happened? Is that just her dwelling on what what happened before, or is it maybe her somehow subconsciously knowing that he did escape and and drawing that? I'm I'm interested. I kind of want to paint this picture of this chapter real quick because it's got some interesting mechanics of how the flora works in Roshar. So I don't know if you guys have really keyed into this. It's been mentioned a couple times, but there's rock buds in uh, on Roshar and they kind of bloom and let out vines and the vines like drink water that are on the ground. And then when a high storm comes, they shrivel up and so they can survive the high storm and they like kind of close up into like a ball 
and then after the high storm they bloom again and all the vines reach out and drink the water again so whenever somebody walks close to them they they shrivel up and then if you like that they wait a little bit and then they bloom again so shalon does the same thing here with this flower patch she walks into the middle of it and sits down and half of the flower patch is kind of like retreated into the into the blooms and then they bloom again and she has like a blooming flowers all around her because she hasn't because she hasn't moved and this has been mentioned a couple times like the horses that kaladin rides they lick the rock buds so that the rock buds open up and then they they drink the water that's inside the the rock buds um because then i don't know that i just thought i think it's really cool how the how the rock buds work it's not really important but i i enjoy it it is cool i feel like rock bud is one of the most said words in these books (laughs) yeah because every time i like listen to stuff it they're always like and it just rolled off the rock bud or whatever (laughs) and like it just does this stuff all the time um and i think on the cover of this book is where you actually like see them or maybe it's on the first book Uh, both Okay. Yeah, and that's really the only good image I have in my mind for it, which I mean it's like canonical, I guess. Um but yeah, they're pretty cool. I think it's kind of a weird plant life system. But that's fair. That's honest, you know. I, I think that's part of what would make any kind of visual adaptation of this work really striking, because you would you would constantly have this reactive flora like you're you're talking about trevor where everywhere they go the grass is gonna retreat and come back and the, the rock buds are gonna react where they go it'd be it'd be a constant reminder that you're in a in a foreign world which i think would be really intriguing to a lot of a lot of viewers you know watching a, a movie or a video game or something like that one of one of my best mem- remembrances of the reactive flora here is when Rissens and shinovar and she sees normal grass and normal trees like like we have on earth and Riston's like they don't move they don't they don't do anything they're dead and we would we would just be creeped out by moving plants that's true i would be be very afraid i'll be honest depending on how fast it's moving you know it just opens out and licks me or something. I'll get a little <laughs> might might trigger my flight or fight instincts, you know. Um, no, you just learned that you need to lick it, and then it'll open up, and you can eat it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I should have just known yeah, that. I mean, if, uh, any any person that was obviously not a local, yeah. any Yakovetian. Yeah, exactly. So, so something I want to maybe end on here in this chapter, chapter 30, is, again, some more interaction between Tin and, and Shalon. And before, a couple episodes ago, maybe last episode, we, we kind of, at least I kind of talked about how Shalon is, is in my mind, this kind of image of honesty and, and innocence. And I had to kind of retract honesty because she she's a, a walking and breathing lie she lies to everyone she meets. so far yes it, yeah exactly so maybe, maybe not honesty in, in so much in that sense but but i do really feel like she is 
innocent in in such a way that she's like she's naive and and this is a this chapter kind of explores that where where tin is really kind of poking at shallan and and saying you know you don't understand hardship you don't understand the world which really makes me really actually intrigued by shallan's character now because shallan as she points out shallan shallan even responds back to her and says you barely know me how do you know what i've been through and and Tin says because you aren't broken, and I think it was earlier in this book when Shalon and Pattern were talking, and Pattern's like, "You're cracked, you're not broken, but you're cracked," and and Shalon is this, she's such this interesting character because we know she's been through something terrible. We know she's been through this horrible family that she's had. She's had really rough times. She's had to do terrible things and yet she still has this like childlike innocence about her that tin is trying to like help her grow out of so she's in a very interesting little ironic contradiction sort of shallan is i can't even explain it but it's it's very interesting is she going to lean more towards inspiration or deception with her her powers that is my biggest question right now that is my biggest question of this entire book actually as we go is where is shallan going to end up leaning with how she uses her newfound newfound powers and before we met tin we were we were excited about inspiration we were excited about her using her powers for good and now Tim seems to be pushing her very strongly in the other direction. She's all about deception. And so is Shalon going to be influenced by that and, and really go down that path of using her illusion and patterns, voices and whatnot to, to deceive? I hope not, but it's not looking good right now. True. I, and I think it is going to, I say this every week, it's going to depend on who she's with and how things go in the Shattered Plains. Because I think what we've seen with Yasna, sorry, with Shalon the most, um, is she's very, her actions are very highly influenced by what the other people around her are doing um, and how that affects her. And so I think it's mostly going to come down to that. Um, I think her innately, it's more of the inspirational side. That's what we saw initially with the bandits and and deserters. Um, But if she's around a bunch of losers like 10, then pressure you into doing bad. Tell us how you really feel. Good stuff. (laughs) Then, then yeah, she'll be a, a loser. You know, they say it's important to, you know, choose who your friends are you know so i think it's i actually do want to key in on this because you're right shallan does reflect a lot of who she's spending time around right after she got off a boat with yasna she's pretending to be important light-eyed lady and then she spends a week with tin and suddenly she's lying to kaladin for no reason and if you think back so she Shalon is very much a, a sponge, if you will, of absorbing who's who's around her. And Kaladin, back in the Way of Kings, was not that. He chose to act differently because his father told him to. 
and it didn't matter that the rest of the bridgemen had given up he had decided to be different and not let them rub off on him so that there's a there's an interesting contrast in our two heroes here true and uh so also i was gonna say with um shallan like not only reflecting who she's with but also um like the the thing that made me think of that was when yasna takes her to the alleyway and kills those men in in that whole incident that kind of pushes her over the edge to steal the soul caster at the time um and so yeah i think it's going to depend what other people do it's going to kind of force her hand or make up her mind about things because if not she's very uh undecided almost kind of figuring things out as she goes so any closing thoughts for episode 31 that is all other than you referring to Shalon as a sponge made me think of instantly Sponge Shalon Squarepants. I think that's her new name. So that's how I will be referring to her as we go See, forward. Alright, sounds good. We can politely ignore you whenever you say that, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> as I said at the beginning, I... I feel like these chapters are building. They're they're building, building, building to to something coming up, and and I know the end of of part two is is coming. So excited for excited for what's coming up because I feel like it's going to be big. But we've been feeling that for a while now, so maybe not. We'll see. I was honestly going to say, I feel like our chapters have been building, but this kind of just like I've relieved most of the pressure in my mind. She's kind of arrived to the shattered planes, even though it's weird now um so i don't know i mean i'm sure since we are getting close to the end of part two it will be something bigger but it's it's not like it like led up and then it kind of it's kind of plateauing i feel like so that's fair all right the only way we can we can know if that there's a climax at the end of part two is to read it next week so we can re- and we have interludes. We do have interludes coming up. Hopefully, it's that interlude this time. So. Yeah. All right, we can <laughs> wrap it up there, and we will reconvene next week. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. Of course. Until next time. <laughs>